Today we examine one of the several times that the children of Israel sinned against God during their wilderness wanderings. In it we find a wonderful picture of God's judgment upon sin, a repentant people, a mighty mediator, and finally a God-given remedy displaying His great mercy upon sinners. Join us today for the message titled, Salvation Through the Serpent. Numbers chapter 21. The Bible says this, verse number 1, And when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your precious word. We thank you, God, for the truths and the illustrations and the great things that we can glean from this holy scripture. God, I pray for this people. God, I pray, Lord, that you help this people under the sound of my voice. God, hearken unto what thus saith the Lord. Lord, it matters not what I say. You know that. I know that. This people knows that. God, but what matters is what you say. God, I just pray, Lord, that this is what they hear. The Word of God. God, I pray. Lord, if there's any here that's lost and knows you not, nor the free pardon of sin, God, I pray you save them today. Lord, you know who they are, and they know who they are. And God, I just pray, Lord, you convict their hearts. Help them to see that it's once appointed unto man to die, but after this, the judgment. God, I pray, Lord, that you help me not to hinder your word today. God, I help 
I, I pray, God, you help me not to speak anything out of a turn, Lord, but only that in which you'd have me to speak. God, I pray, Lord, you help your servants today, those that do know you. Lord, help them to see the importance of following your instruction in their lives. We love you and thank you. Bless us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here we have the children of Israel in the wilderness. If you know the story of the children of Israel, you'd know that God had brought them down to Egypt to stay them from the famine. And instead of returning unto their land in which God had promised them, they found comfort in Egypt. And then they found them enslaved in Egypt for 450 years. The cry of the people came unto the ears of God, and God sent forth a deliverer to bring them out of Egypt. So you know how God had called Moses out of the burning bush, and God had sent him unto Pharaoh to tell him to let my people go. And Moses, after trying to make excuse and get out of it, was obedient unto God and went unto Pharaoh and then he would not let the people go, so God began raining judgment down upon all of those in the land of Egypt. He turned the water into blood. He, he made a, a pestilence of uh, lice fall upon, upon the land. He uh, made a, a, a great sickness of pestilence to fall upon all the cattle and all the beasts of the field. He made it black in Egypt for three days and three nights. And then, of course, finally, the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. All those in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, were under the sentence of death. But thank God he made a way to stay the judgment, and that was by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Applying to the doorposts and the lintel of all those. And so all those... The Bible says when that angel of death passed over, when he saw the, the blood, he would pass over that house. And that's what he did. And so the children of Israel were delivered out of their slavery, out of their uh, burdens from Egypt. They went by way of the Red Sea. God had led them to that place. And Pharaoh had a change of heart, so he pursued after the children of Israel to slay them. He got to the Red Sea. And uh, God, again, provided a way for the deliverance of the children of Israel with the parting of the Red Sea, the drying of that seabed to where they walked across on dry land. Pharaoh's armies pursued him and were crushed in the ensuing, uh, in, ensuing flood that came upon them when Moses dropped his hands and the water returned to its normal state. So there, there they were in, uh, in the wilderness. God had wanted to take them into the uh, promised land, but unbelief kept them from the promised land. And so here they are in the wilderness. God had provided their clothes for them. He had provided food for them with manna from heaven. He had provided water from a rock. He had done all of these great things for them. And we see now that a, another judgment was taking place in our scripture here. Now, this morning, 
And, and let me just say this. Whenever we think of serpents in Scripture, I don't know about you, my mind immediately goes to Genesis chapter 3. My mind immediately goes to the, uh, to the serpent that beguiled Eve and had her to partake of the tree in the midst of the garden. And uh, so when I think of serpents, and when I think of serpents in actuality, I don't like them. I don't know about you, I am not a fan of serpents. Some people got like a snake fetish, that's not me. I do not like them at all. They say, yeah, I see a black snake, uh, you know, someone's house, and they say, well, don't kill them, they're, they're the good snakes. In my mind, the only good snake's a dead snake, right? Uh, that's, a, that's the most amen I've ever got out of your church. That's sad, amen. <laughs> all right, so anyway, uh, so I'm not a big snake fan, but when we think of snakes, we usually think in a negative connotation uh, of that sort. But I want you to see in this story, there is salvation through the serpent. That's the title of our message, Salvation Through the Serpent. So let's just kind of look and analyze what's happened here. Number one, we see the problem presented. The problem presented, we see in verse number five, the sin of the people. Verse number five, the people spake against God and against Moses. Now you have to understand why they were upset. Verse number four says that they uh, journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people were, was much discouraged because of the way. Now to understand this, go back to chapter 20. Or excuse me, uh, chapter, yeah, chapter 20. And you would see in verse number 14 the beginning of this problem. Children of Israel were desirous to go through the land of uh, Edom, but the king of Edom would not let him. Verse number 14 of chapter 20 says, And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt. And we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice, and sent an angel, and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders. And so they would desire just to go through their land to get to another place. But yet verse number 16, or excuse me, 18, it says, And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. And so after pleading one more time, he refused. We see verse number 21, it says, Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore... Israel turned away from him. And so rather than forcing them through the land, they honored the rejection of their request, and they were going to go around by way of the Red Sea. They were going to go by the Red Sea around this land so they would not provoke a conflict. And then, uh, of course, in between here you have a... Uh, 
uh, in verse number 1 through uh, verse number 3, you see the battle with King Arad the Canaanite and how, how the Canaanite uh, kingdom, they came against Israel. Israel sought God and God delivered him from that. So I don't know if they were just arrogant in that, uh, in, in that thinking, man, God delivers us out of this one. Man, let's go through here. God will deliver us through there. I don't know what the thinking was, but what I do know is the reason they sinned was because they were complaining that things just were not going their way. They had, they had a desire that was not fulfilled. Now think about that. They sinned in that they spake against God. Now this is the same God that delivered them by a mighty hand out of Egypt, right? It's the same God that did mighty, miraculous things, a few of which <clears throat> I mentioned. They even spake against how God provided for them. It just wasn't good enough. That sounds like an ungrateful set of brats to me. Amen? Doesn't that sound like to you? Man, they don't get their way one time, and now, now they're throwing a fit. That's exactly what they were doing. But you know what? That's, that's exactly how we do sometimes. Instead of being grateful for all the good things God has given us, we see a stumbling block in our way, and all we can do is focus on that and, and say, why God me? Why God this? Why God this? Why, why in the world, God, can't you uh, just remove that out of my way? Why in the world do I have to put up with this? Instead of focusing on the goodness that he has done for us. Let me tell you what. If all God did was deliver them out of Egypt, he did more than they deserved. Right? If all he did was get them up out of that land, he did more than they deserved. But yet it was not good enough for them. So they spake against God and Moses, verse number five says. So we see the sin of the people. We also see the sentence of God, verse number six. Because there was sin, God brought down judgment. It's called a consequence. Anybody ever heard of that? Verse number 6, you say, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Because they sinned, God gave them a sentence of judgment upon them. Now, I know consequences are not popular in our society today, are they? They're really not. I mean, we have a whole segment of our society that um, believes there should be absolutely no consequences. Anybody ever watch Wife Swap? Yeah, he's pointing to you, Miss Katie. I'm just telling you, uh, your husband. Anybody ever watch Wife Swap? I'll tell you what, that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing people study. If you watch that and see some of these parents' mindsets concerning their children, some of these parents, man, their kids could could uh, stomp on their feet, cuss them out, and the parents will not give them any type of consequence. They will not, there is not any type of judgment that, or a sentence that falls. Let me tell you what, when you do that, you're training up the next future criminals. Amen. That's exactly what you're not doing to kids a favor. Say, so, well, kids need to be kids. No, kids need trained so they can be responsible adults. Amen. Thank you. So we see a consequence that God is... God is uh, put forth. And while some parents may not give consequences, while some schools may not give consequences, kid, kids don't do, uh, do uh, right in their, in their work, man, they just go ahead and promote them up so you have illiterate graduates. And while, while some people in our society is not for consequences, let me tell you what, that is not God, never will be God. 
There is consequences for sin. It was here and it is now. And so we see the sins by God and we see the serious nature of their sin. Man, they spake against God and it wasn't that God slapped them on the wrist. God sent forth death. That's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. There's nothing to be trifled with. It was nothing to be laughed at. It was nothing to be dismissed. God sent forth a sentence of death. And so it was a very serious consequence for their sins. So we see the problem presented. And let's look at the plea of the people. Secondly, the plea of the people. We see that, man, they soon realized their error. Verse number 7. Right after that judgment fell in verse number 6, verse number 7 says, Therefore, because of this... The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. We see they soon realized their sin. They had realized that they had messed up. And you know what? It wasn't hard to do. It wasn't hard to do. They didn't have to, they didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to study about it. They knew exactly what they did. They knew exactly what they had done and sinned against God. And then we see that they had shown repentance. They had shown repentance. Now, repentance is, like I said, every, 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 every time you look at that word repentance in, in the New Testament, it means to have a change in the mind, to think differently. Well, they thought differently. They weren't speaking against God anymore. In verse number, what is that? Seven? God did not send down that judgment, and then they say, well, look at this, God, we got, man, look at this. No, they had a changing of mind. They saw their error, and instead of continuing in their sin, they had a change of mind, and they were looking for relief. They were looking for some way to get out of this judgment that they had sinned. They had humbled themselves. Let me tell you what. That'd be a good thing for a lot of Christians to do, amen? Just humble themselves in the sight of God. And they did. They humbled themselves. They weren't speaking ill of them anymore. They showed resent, uh, repentance. And then they sought the removal of the judgment. Verse number 7. He says, uh, notice the wording. Now I want you to notice it very carefully. Verse number 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Pray unto the Lord that he take the serpents from us. They sought that the judgment would be removed. They saw that destruction was coming. They saw their brethren dying off. They saw these snakes biting them. They saw what happened after that. And they were saying, man, Moses, please speak to God. Please call on God and get these serpents out of here. They wanted that judgment completely removed. They wanted it gone. And uh, make sure and remember that. That's an important point. They wanted the serpents to be taken away. They did not want to be under that judgment anymore. They wanted that gone. And so we see the problem presented. We see the plea of the people. Before we move on to the kind of the rest of the story, I want to focus on this person, Moses. Number three, the person, Moses. Moses is a very important person in this story. We see his intercession for the people there at verse number 7. They came to him and they said, well, let me back up. We have sinned, for we have spoken, uh, spoken against the Lord and against thee. 
Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. This is one of the many times that Moses prayed for an ungrateful, ungodly people. This is one of the many times where Moses is praying for people that want to kill him. He's praying for people that are speaking against him. He is praying for them. Let me tell you what, church. To pray for people that despitefully use you is an attribute of God. You know what we need to do as Christians? I'm talking to those who know the Lord. You know what we need to do as Christians? We don't need to curse those that are cursing us. We need to pray for those that are cursing us. We don't need to, we don't need to run them down. We need to seek the face of an almighty God for them. That's what we as Christians need to do. That was instructed. That was, that was obviously demonstrated by Jesus upon the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know what they do. It was a principle in which he spoke about in Matthew 5, 43. It says this. It says, Ye have heard, hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. To intercede for others, especially those that are against you, is of God. It is a godly trait. And we see Moses interceding for this people here. We see his importance to the people, and quite simply this, without Moses, without Moses, these people would have perished. Every bit of them. They would have all died without Moses. He is absolutely essential to this story. He is the one that sought the face of God, and he is the one that was obedient to what God said the remedy was. <coughs> we see his obedience unto God. Verse number 8, notice with me, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, verse number 9, it says, And Moses made. God said, Do this, and Moses did it. Had Moses not sought the face of the Lord, he would have never got those instructions. Had, God not, had Moses not interceded for the people, they would have perished. Had Moses not been obedient to what God had instructed him to do, they would have died. So the importance of Moses in this story cannot be understated. He was absolutely vital to the salvation of those people. So we see the person of Moses. And then uh, we, we looked at how the problem that they were facing. We looked at the plea that they made. We see this person, and next we see the prescription for salvation. Now, just as a doctor would uh, tell you to take two aspirins if you had a headache or something along those lines, listen, and give you a prescription for what ails you, 
God gave Moses a prescription for salvation unto these people. And it's a very interesting prescription that he gave. Now, first, I want you to see that it was a remedy, not a removal. You remember, and I told you to pay close attention to what they were pleading for. They asked Moses, they said specifically, they said, we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, verse number 7, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. That's what they wanted, man. They wanted that judgment removed altogether. They did not want the sting of the serpent upon them at all. But that's not what God did, is it? God did not take away the serpent. And that is such an important aspect to comprehend. God did not remove that judgment, but he gave a remedy for it. So many people, so many people, well, let me just say this. My God is a just God. My God is a just God, and, and a just God must, must punish sin. He did it in Numbers chapter 21. He did it in Genesis chapter 3. He does it now. All throughout Scripture. Where there is sin, there is a judgment for sin. Why? Because God is just. Had God simply taking those serpents up, just removed the serpents, it would have almost been at least construed as saying that that the, the judgment that he pronounced was not just. And so therefore, he did not remove that judgment. But he gave a remedy for it. He gave a remedy for it. So we see that. We see that. Psalm 89, 14 says this about my God. It says, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. And so he gave a remedy, not a removal. We see the remedy was a reflection to the response of his sin, verse number 8. Now remember, he sent fiery serpents. That means brazen in color. Brazen in color, a yellowish type tint to them. Verse number 8, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And so God did not instruct Moses to make an angel or some angelic being and put it upon a pole. He did not say, Fashion you another calf as... Aaron tried to do and put it upon a pole. He didn't say fashion anything. What he said was fashion a serpent. So, the, so, so what I want you to put up there is something that mirrors the judgment that fell for that sin. And so uh, we see it was a reflection to the response for their sin. We see that it was raised above the earth. He told him to put it upon a pole. And that was for numerous reasons. Number one, so that it can be seen by a multitude. Number two, so they could be seen from all directions. Number three, so they could be seen from far away. And so he told him, he gave those instructions, say, put it upon a pole. And uh, we also see that the remedy was rooted in faith. If we're snake bit today, we're snake bit today, what they have is uh, antivenom, right? They take and milk him snakes. And use the venom as a serum. And you get bit by a copperhead, they'll go and they'll take that copperhead serum and they'll inject it to you and it'll counteract the effects of the venom. And that's how you, uh, that's how uh, your, the remedy for uh, natural snake bite today. But 
Notice what's happening here is not natural, supernatural. So God did not instruct Moses to go out and take one of them fiery serpents and milk it, and work you up this concoction and inject it. What he asked him to do was all rooted in faith. That is how their salvation came, was by faith, not by work. They said, look. And so what happened after they were bit? Imagine yourself laying on the ground and, and this serpent had come and clung onto your leg. And uh, you start feeling the effects of that and you feel death coming on. And what you were doing when you were seeking that remedy, all you were doing is looking around. Where is it? I know it's here because it's on a pole. I know that I can see it because it's lifted up. And go looking for that serpent. And when you beheld it, you were healed. The healing had everything to do with, with uh, faith. It was rooted in faith. And then we see the reach. Verse number 8, I think it's very important. The Lord said unto Moses, it says, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. That word everyone is so vital. It wasn't just Aaron and his priesthood that this salvation was available to. It wasn't just Moses and his family that this salvation was available to. It wasn't available to just men or to just women or just the children. It wasn't available to just the Israelites who were good. It wasn't available just to the Israelites who promised that they would never get bit by snakes before. Listen, that remedy was available to everyone. Everyone. There wasn't anybody that was to be bit by the serpent. That remedy was not available so when we see this salvation that's in the serpent, it all boils down to this. It all boils down to this. I said all of that to tell you this, and that is, lastly, the parallels of what happened here in Numbers chapter 21 to the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. This is how this story applies to you. Now, I intentionally did not relate any of this because I wanted to do it here. I want you to say, I want to say this, and that is, all of us are sinners. Every soul here is a sinner in their natural state. The Bible declares it. The law reveals it. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, For there is not a just man upon earth, and doeth good, and sinneth not. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And because God is just, because justice and judgment is the habitation of His throne, He must punish sin. He cannot look the other way. He would not be just. He cannot just remove that punishment. He would cease to be just. My God is a just God. Because that... Judgment has fallen upon all sinners. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's the problem. It was a problem. The, the sinners back in Moses' day there in the wilderness, listen, they were under the judgment for their sin. Mankind today is under the judgment for their sin. Hey, but thank God we have Romans 6.23. 
for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You see, God did not just remove the judgment. He gave us a remedy for it. He cannot. He, he, he would cease to be just if he just said, oh, well, you know, that punishment is pretty harsh. Let's just go ahead and take that away. Listen, no, the judgment is there to say, but God in his mercy and his grace gave us a remedy for it through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. There, uh, God just can't. He can't just excuse your sin no matter how sorry you are for it. You understand Sorry does not re remove the offense. Sorry does not if, if I slapped you in the face, if I, if I come up and slapped you in the face and I turned around and said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That did not remove the sting of the slap, did it? And so sorry does not do anything concerning salvation. It cannot bring you salvation, and it cannot remove that judgment. But there's a remedy for it. There's a remedy for it. It's found in Jesus Christ. Just as the serpent was a reflection of the sin and the judgment and the initial cause of sin, the curse of sin, Jesus is a reflection of that sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came not as an angel, but as a man. He took on this robe of flesh, was under the condemnation of sin, though he did no sin. Jesus is a reflection of that sin. He was raised above the earth. Just like the serpent was raised above the earth so that they could look and live, Jesus was raised above the earth. He even proclaimed that such in John 12, 32. He says this, he says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So we see Jesus upon the cross of Calvary was lifted up. That's not the only way Jesus is lifted up. What I am doing today is all I am trying to do is lift up Jesus Christ. If people can see Jesus for who he is, he will draw men unto him. Jesus was lifted up upon the cross of Calvary. He did so to pay the punishment for your sins. It is the remedy. It is the remedy of the judgment. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. He was righteous, yet we were sinful. And so therefore, God sent him down to be the propitiation for our sin, that if we will just look upon him and believe that, that and put our faith in that remedy, just as they did with that serpent, listen, he'll save you today. He'll save you today. Why? It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by His mercy He hath saved us. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. When they got bit by the serpent, so many years ago, God gave them a remedy. They said, you fashion up this serpent. You make it to the way I tell you to. 
You lift it up. And when they're bit, all they have to do is behold that serpent. Just look upon it. It's simple. It's easy, but it's effective. Let me tell you what, the salvation through Jesus Christ in which I preach today, it's simple. It's easy, but it's effective. It's effective, man. It was able to save a wretched sinner like me. So we see that Jesus was raised above the earth. We see that that salvation is rooted in faith. John 3, 36 says this. All those people had to do, all those people had to do, once they realized their sin... Once they realized it, they turned unto the remedy in which God had prescribed, and they put their faith in it. They changed their minds, they repented, and they looked unto God's salvation. John 3.36 makes it very clear there are two classes of people when it's concerning the spiritual. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Amen. Praise God for that. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John eleven twenty five. 25, this is uh, Jesus there outside the tomb of Lazarus. He says, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John 20 and 31 says, But these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing... You may have life through his name. Salvation is simple, it's easy, it's effective. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That was, that was Paul and Silas's words under that Philippian jailer. He says this salvation, and I love the way he says it too. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in thy house. In thy house. Last point of this is that it's available unto everyone. The salvation that Paul and Silas spoken to that Philippian jailer, he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. In other words, man, it's not just to you. It's not just to you. It's to everyone. All, everyone in your house can believe on this same Jesus and be born again. I want you to know uh, today that uh, 19 years ago, 19 years ago, I passed from death unto life. 19 years ago, man, my life changed. My eternity changed. The thing about me changed. It was all because that I did some great work. All because I saw Jesus high and lifted. I saw myself for who I am, a dirty, rotten sinner. I knew that God in his righteousness had to punish me. He made a remedy for me in Jesus Christ. And if I would just put my faith in him, if that's all I would do, he would save me. That sting, that serpent bite would not have any effect on me anymore. God would take that judgment, he would remove it as far as the east is from the west. And I simply put my trust in him. I wasn't trusting in myself anymore. I wasn't trusting that, you know, my good might outweigh my bad. I wasn't trusting in a church. I wasn't trusting in what I gave. I wasn't trusting in, in anything else. I said, Jesus, I am putting all of my faith in you. 
You said your grace was sufficient. I'm just taking you at your word. Taking you at your word. Nineteen years ago, my eternal destiny changed. I can say this with confidence. For those who have done that, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For those who have done that, the sting of death is taken away. For those that have done that. For those that haven't done that, you're under the condemnation of God. Why? Because you're worse than me? No. Because I've trusted in the Savior, high and lifted up, and you haven't. My sins have been paid for on the cross of Calvary. The righteous one who hung upon the cross of Calvary, righteousness was bestowed upon me. He took my place as a sinner, and I took his place as righteous in the sight of God. That's where I stand today. I stand upon a firm foundation. I don't know about you. I don't know your testimony. But I can say this, it's one of two. He that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not. He that is not put their faith in Jesus Christ shall not see life. Wrath of God abideth on him. Where do you stand? Mine was settled. Mine was settled. Is yours?